0: Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Heavenly Father, yours is the name above all names. Limited as we are in our capacity to comprehend your complete greatness, we fall down on our knees in awe and wonder. We praise you as the creator, the savior, and the judge of all creation, both born and unborn. From you, all that is good, all that is holy, and all that is just flows. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We take solace in knowing that both the believer and unbeliever are under your dominion, and we pray for your kingdom presence and power among us. We pray that our actions and those of our rulers and authorities would be guided by you to bring us closer to your design. We pray that victims would experience your comfort and healing, and pray for justice on those who inflict injustice. We pray for unity in an ever-divided culture and world. Give us this day our daily bread. To the maker of the heavens and earth, the provider of everything, help us to understand that today is all we have, and all we need, and all we can handle. Help us to sit in your peace and to trust in you. Provide for us in your need, and meet us In our despair remind us to praise you in our provisions and celebrate you in our breath and with every beat of our hearts from this one to the last grant us the ability to comfort and care for those around us that rely on us to be your hands and feet and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us you are the judge seated on high the only one worthy to open the scroll Help us in our sinful desires and in our unbelief. Even our best intentions are marred with imperfection and fall short of the mark that you have called us to. We acknowledge our brokenness and our immeasurable need for forgiveness. We fail to fully understand the weight that Jesus carried on the cross, but vocalize our gratitude to the best of our ability. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You are the rescuer, redeemer, and overcomer of trials and temptations, so we turn our face to you. We come before you seeking perseverance and protection from the ways of the devil and our own sinful desires. Protect us from those that would wish us harm. Deliver our church, our families, our children, and our unborn from those who would seek to destroy us. Help us not to stumble, lest we join those that have already turned their face from you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
1: Amen. Before we start today, I feel compelled to just share something really brief, kind of like an appetizer before the entree here. Um, It seems almost like the elephant in the room to not mention the, the Roe v. Wade ruling this week. And... I'm conflicted, and I'm sure many of us here are. And I just want to acknowledge that within this community of people who are striving to love Jesus, serve him faithfully, I'm confident that there are those who are thrilled at this past week and those who are devastated at this past week. And there's a lot to say. And there's and much of it I won't be touching at all right now. But what I will say is that for the past year, probably two years, Andy and myself and the leaders of this church have stood up here and compelled you all with the authority of Scripture, with the authority of God himself, that when you stand in contention, the response you're compelled to is Love. And the thought could be like, but John, think of the violence the other side is inflicting. And I'm like, you don't think Jesus understood what it was like to receive excessive, undue, unjust violence? We are servants of Christ. A servant is not above their master. Jesus is our master. It's a pretty simple mathematical equation. Our response to this for right now is love to love those who stand against us, who threaten all kinds of things and humanity and personhood and all that. So that's our appetizer. There's your mozzarella sticks. And uh, like I said, we'll probably have more to share about that in due time, but today is not due time. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, I, uh, God, I thank you for another Sunday. I thank you for another day where... We were able to greet uh, a new chapter of life, receive mercies, and uh, experience just a gift. And sometimes we find that gift in blessing, and sometimes we find that gift in suffering, but I pray that you would trace that gift out for us so we would see it nevertheless. Help us today to open our hearts to this message, to this message that has been just swirling throughout the Church of Christ for 2,000 years. This little letter that a dude named Peter wrote to some friends or some acquaintances. Help us to uh, see what you're saying to us. Um, And before all things, please encourage us with uh, the goodness of your gospel and the work of your son. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. I want to start off by... Being completely honest about this text, texts like these tend to make me a little uncomfortable. There's a big, like, weight of a com- of a command of holiness in this passage. Literally has the two words "be holy," and it makes me it, it's a little intimidating for me. I think a lot of that has to do with my own like, church background and just some of the spiritual baggage that I carry. But I even think like, I think the word holiness for myself and, and maybe for many of us carries a significant amount of like religious baggage. Some of us might hear holiness and think like, work hard, like do the right thing, think the right thing, feel the right thing. Some of us might think holiness and, and think all the way back to like holiness movement stuff where you're, you're literally working to be so spiritual that you actually stand morally perfect before God, which again, holy smokes, it sounds, it's intimidating. I believe that if I pulled a hundred Christians and I asked them, what does it take to become Holy. I think a lot of the answers would sound a little bit like this. Well, you want to start off by establishing some really important spiritual disciplines. You want to uh, buy a Bible if you don't have one. Read it all the time. uh, Pray really regularly. Maybe fast. I don't know. Nobody really fasts anymore. But if you're feeling really holy that day, you can fast. Uh, Go to church. Then start looking at your life. Start looking at the things that you do, and start asking yourself: Is this okay? If you steal, stop stealing. If you uh, if you yell at people, stop yelling at people. You know, go through the line, line by line, through your life, and fix it. And then, at a certain point in time, you will have achieved the top of the ladder, and God will look at you and say, "Holy, I'm so pleased." I'd like to start today off by stating clearly this is not what Peter is saying. This is not what Peter is saying. Imagine I asked you uh, how to obtain and take care of a new car. And, uh, and even as I say that, I acknowledge I have been mocked relentlessly in the past for my failed car analogies. I can already see a couple people chuckling at me. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> carburetor, yeah. I'm not getting into that. Uh, How was I supposed to know carburetors don't exist? Past the 1970s, I'm not a mechanic, but that's okay. Um, So yeah, so bear with me. But imagine someone asked you, how would I go about obtaining and taking care of a brand new car? And the response that someone gave you was, well, you check the oil, and you make sure the tires get rotated every few thousand miles, and make sure your, your fluid levels are good. And uh, maybe every now and then, if you you hear like a clicking sound or a whirring sound behind under the engine, you take it in to get checked up on. But that's that's essentially how you do it. There's like a, a big obvious problem with that answer, though, is that you've told me how to take care of a car that I don't have. The first part of the question was how do I obtain this car and then how do I take care of it? That's what this answer of holiness is. We act, when, when, when we respond to the question of how to obtain holiness with action, with ability, it assumes that holiness is something that we build like a stack of Legos. But it's not. So let's talk about that. Well, we're going to go through a few points of what Peter is saying here. The first point is hope. I like hope. I think all of us do. I know that for many of us, when we read this passage, like I said, our eyes kind of get glued to the holiness part. It sounds really commandy. It's a little intimidating. But I want to say that the strongest imperative, the strongest command that Peter is giving in this entire passage that Abby read for us was right here. Fix your hope completely on the grace that is being revealed to you. Because before you obtain holiness, it's not effort. It's not work or purity or righteousness or cool points or good deeds. It's grace. It's a gift. That's the first thing we have to understand about holiness. It's that it's not that you can't, it's not that that we often don't manufacture it, it's that we can't. So rather than putting, our, putting all of our emphasis on our own abilities, on what our own hands can do, on what our minds are capable of, we're actually forced to lean on the good, good giving of God who gives us holiness freely through our trust in him. I remember when I, w- I lived in Israel for about half a year, and I would lead Bible studies for people who didn't have, like, the strongest grasp on English. And so I tried to use these analogies that uh, were, like, fairly simple but could try to communicate bigger ideas. And so I came up with one. It's always stuck around the back of my head. It's really silly. But it's essentially, like, imagine there's a party, and only tigers get to go to this party. Tigers only. Says so right outside the door. And there's big tiger bouncers standing out there. And you are an orange cat. Close, but no cigar. And so I asked, how does an orange cat get into a party that only tigers can go? And you think, well, uh, maybe he could get a big uh, tiger costume and, like, try to fill it out as best as he can, or maybe he can take black paint and, stripe and, uh, and paint stripes down his coat, or maybe he can uh, work on his tiger impersonation and hope that the bouncers are blind and so they hear a tiger even though they don't see one. But the answer to the question is really simple. He can't. Why? Because it's for tigers. Orange cats don't get to go to a tiger party. It's a very silly analogy but it it represents where we stand in terms of holiness. How does a human become holy? He doesn't. Do you know what holiness is? It's not man-made. Holiness is one of the closest, most intrinsic things to God's own nature. Holiness belongs to God. We don't get to take something from Him. We don't get to make it by ourselves. The answer to the question is, it's not possible. And that reminds me of Jesus when he was talking to this dude Nicodemus. Some of us know this story, I'm gonna fill it in for those who don't. Nicodemus was this uh, religious teacher, probably older, very well studied, really knew his stuff. Says he meets with Jesus probably in the dark of night because he's maybe a little paranoid. He may not want his friends to know he's talking to Jesus. And I kind of imagine this is, not, this is not fully scripture. This is like a creative liberty, but I kind of imagine the conversation goes something like this. Nicodemus appears to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I've been studying these texts since before you were born. I've talked to scholars of this stuff that you couldn't even imagine, but the type of stuff that you're doing, the type of miracles that you're performing, I don't understand that. And Jesus' response is the only way that you could understand what I'm doing is if you were born again. And that doesn't have the same meaning. Like when we think of born again, we think, oh, yeah, put your faith in yada, yada, go to yada, yada. Like at this point, this was an intentionally ridiculous answer. Jesus was literally giving him something impossible. What Nicodemus heard was I have to remove myself from existence and then reappear as a newborn creature. It's impossible. And that's the point of what Jesus was saying, which brings us back to this line that Peter has where he says that we must set our hope completely on the grace that will be revealed to you. The way that we become holy, the way that we become children of God, the way that we are able to change is, is, not, is not manufactured. It's, it's God's. It's a gift from him. It's why uh, Peter later on goes to say, to those of you who call God Father... Peter's not looking for a bunch of people who are going to try their darndest to make sure everything in their lives are good so that they can earn the pleasure and earn the love of God. What he wants are children to look to their father and trust him. Because if you're a child and you trust a God, or I'm sorry, a father, a parent who loves you, there's hope there. There's trust there. And it takes a lot of the stress out of our own abilities and inabilities. He's building a foundation on hope. And as we live every day, we have to not lose sight of that. This isn't just the hope that gets us through the door. This is the hope that maintains us every day. This is the hope that we remember when we take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. This is, this is water for us to drink It also makes it ironic to believe that you can be holier than anybody else. This is the type of hope that kind of forces you to be humble. This whole phrase, holier than thou, it's ridiculous. Not that it doesn't happen, but that it shouldn't. It's like laughing at somebody. I'm going to go back to cars because I feel like the first one went okay. It's like laughing at someone who drives a Camry and you drive like an Aston Martin, but your dad gave you the car. It's like, bro, who are you laughing at? Like, you didn't do anything for that. Like, your car was worse than the Camry before you got that. So who are you to judge? Who are you to laugh? When we see this kind of hope, it kind of forces us to realize that we can't look down on the people around us. It's a hope that creates humility. As I, you know, I, I had this just reflection as I was thinking through this stuff. Um, and I'll, I'll just share it super briefly. This, this idea of really resonating with God when we are weak, I, I feel like as a young Christian, that was really hard for me to grapple with. Like, I've been a Christian since I was, uh, since I was 15. I'm in uh, the latest stages of my 20s right now, and I realize maybe, you, maybe God just designs it so that eventually life kind of beats up your, your sense of self-ability. But it, it just seems like, like when I was young, it seemed so hard to really believe that weakness was a beautiful thing to receive or that acknowledging our weakness was a valuable place. I remember a conversation I had with Andy a couple of years ago. I was just... Uh, telling them all the struggles and heartaches and just how upset I was about my my sin and my struggles and my bad habits and all this stuff. And I remember saying something like, dude, I just, I feel like I just, I can't do anything. Like, I feel like I'm completely reliant on God to just swoop in. Like, I feel like I can't do anything by myself. I remember Andy said, that sounds like a really good place to be. And that's all he said. (laughs) And kudos. Thanks, man. All right, move on to our next point. This one's fear. Fear. First point was hope. This one's the less fun one. But not really. Hopefully, not. Fear is an intimidating word, it comes across. like, like it can disconnect us from the idea of a God who truly loves and, and takes delight in his children, which we know is true. So then we know that if, if we're believing in a fear that creates God into like a monster dictator who's just ready to like take people who he doesn't like and just hurl them against the wall, then we, we know that's not the type of fear that Peter's talking about. But Peter says in this passage, conduct yourselves with fear. So even as we try to kind of chew through that and see what that means, it shouldn't overrule our understanding of God and his true character. I read a quote this week that said, There is a kind of fear that does not contradict confidence. There's a type of fear that does not contradict confidence. Now, I imagine most of us who, who got here today probably drove in a car or a truck or probably, probably drove here. I imagine that if I gave my keys to Zach right here and I said, hey, dude, could you go to Safeway, grab me a case of water, bring it right back. Zach's not thinking, oh, man, I got to drive like I You know, I I don't think unless Zach had maybe had some like really, really traumatizing experience in a vehicle that Zach's going to be hyperventilating too much about driving somewhere and coming right back. Why is that? Because it's driving. We're pretty comfortable with driving. We're pretty confident with driving. And yet, I would imagine that on the way here, I don't think many of us, we're driving on our way to church and thought, you know, I'm a little tired. I'm actually going to catch a couple Zs while I'm uh, behind the wheel just so I'm nice and rested for the sermon. Like, I don't think anyone did that. I don't think anyone was watching a TV show on their telephone exactly like this while they were driving. Hopefully not. Why is that? Because even in something that we do so confidently, there is a level of fear there because we recognize that this is a big metal piece of machinery that can do me a lot of bodily harm and can do a lot of other people bodily harm if I'm not cautious with it. It's like that feeling you get when you're on the highway. I had this coming back from Phoenix today. I'm driving on, down a lane. I hear that bump, 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 bump of like a couple of my tires going over a line and I correct it. I didn't think, you know, I think I'm okay here. There was this fear instinct that immediately kicked in and caused me to redirect. And so when we do something like drive, it's not impossible for us to think that we can be comfortable, that we can be confident, that we can feel okay, even in a place where there is a level of fear and caution that we apply. And I think that is a kind of fear that we can respond with here, that God who has given us this gift of holiness not that we earned through our fear but that he gave to us in new life just by putting that hope and that faith in him now we're thinking okay I just got this brand new car God's got me but I really don't want to knock over any orange cones I need to correct course as needed I need to follow what I'm doing because to be reckless would be catastrophic for myself and for others. This is how that art, that fine art of repentance, not of rigid law, obeying, you know, lashing ourselves over the back. But that slow process of submitting ourselves before God and allowing him to make those molds and changes, cutting off the dead branches, giving us life just continuing to beautify us as someone that he loves. Like that's what that looks like. There's this interesting uh, point here. This is kind of a Bible nerd uh, part, so if you, I was going to say, if you're not a Bible nerd, you can just stop listening. But, you know, like, bear with me. Bear with me. There is a, there's a book in the Old Testament, some of you know it, some of you don't, by the name of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a wild book. Because Ecclesiastes, you read through it and you're just like, wow, I think I'm depressed now. Uh, it's an interesting book. It's basically the story, uh, it's basically the journey, the journal of an old man who is on, his, on death's door reflecting back on his life. And he is thinking about his work. And he's thinking about his relationships. And he's thinking about all these observations he made of life and society and animals and everything. And his big summary is that all of this is junk. It's junk mail. It's worthless. It's vain. It's pointless. And so he uses this word vanity over and over when he's going through this experience that he's had. The beautiful thing that that we see in 1 Peter is that when when Peter is saying that we are no longer kind of stuck in the futility of our ancestors, of our forefathers, what Peter is actually saying, he's, he's using the exact word that the author of Ecclesiastes used for vanity. He's saying we are no longer stuck in the perpetual cycle of junk mail that this author was once talking about. Why, because Jesus has touched our lives with lights and beauty and purpose. Because we are being set apart and blessed and beautified and and, and given so much goodness by God that we don't have that same curse of vanity that we used to. I think that's really cool. But it's as far as I'll go. Now, my last point is how do we comp- how do we tie these two things together into being a compelling community? Cuz that's that's the series that we're going through and and we, I know we've talked about this a number of times but it, like we're we're really committed here at Mission to this idea of an outpost which is that we are trying to catch the ear of those who have been either hurt or just plain jaded with many of the skeletons of Christian culture and kind of have a foot out the door. And then also those who have completely like no experience with Christianity what whatsoever, but are kind of like, what's going, what's going on over there? That seems kind of interesting. Interesting. And so this idea of being a compelling community is like, if if we truly believe that we're Christians and that we've been touched with the light of the Son of God, and we're living in community, practicing that together, how does that speak to the world around us? How do we get our neighbors to say, "That's, that's interesting, I want to know more about that. And so now I wanna I want to answer that question. How do we how do we tie these two ideas of hope and fear and make it compelling? Well, I I think that the world around us actually longs for both of these things, for hope and for fear. And again, not 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 I'm scared of spiders fear, but fear like I, I take the Son of God seriously fear. But here's the thing, it has to be both. Because Christians through different ages have been really good at one and then really not so great at the other. We have to marry these ideas of hope and fear. Why? Because hope without fear is careless. Hope without fear kind of creates Christians who are a little passive about living as counterculturally as Jesus is calling us to. Hope without fear kind of gives us a sense of aimlessness in life. It's just hoping in something great, but twiddling our thumbs until that sweet, sweet day comes. I think hope without fear is like the millions of Christians in our own country who were able to go to church every Sunday, take the Lord's Supper, while these egregious evils against like slaves and minorities and marginalized groups, how that, that happened. They had the hope of the gospel before them and completely deaf to the suffering and oppression, often at their own hands to the people around them. That, to me, is hope without fear. Hope without fear is like armless. It's idle. That's not what we're called to. But on the flip side, fear without hope is cold, it's cruel, it's legalistic. Fear without hope creates Christians who are masters of their own domain. The great irony is that uh, Christians who have hope but not fear actually become very fearful. They fear that God is going to one day not want to deal with them anymore. They fear that forgiveness is not enough. They fear that one day the holiness that they're able to acquire, that big Lego structure, will one day come crumbling down and they'll have nothing to say for themselves. Fear without hope is shallow. It's what causes them to white knuckle their repentance so hard. But then it also causes them to look with scorn on the people around them who aren't able to meet their standards. The interesting thread between both of these groups, those who fear without hope and those who hope without fear, is that eventually they both lose the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us, which is to love our neighbors and to love God. If you have hope without fear, you're not compelled to love the person oppressed around you. If you have fear without hope, your love just goes cold because you see yourself as strong, so why can't the others be strong too? But when we weave these two loose threads together, when we take hope and fear and just tie those threads together, we find ourselves humble like Christ was humble, loving others self-sacrificially as Christ did, leaning completely not on our own power but on God himself as the good source and fountain of everything good and convicted, convicted when we see wrongdoing, not just in our communities, but in ourselves. People with fear and hope wanna love their families. They wanna reconcile after hurt and conflict. I think people who fear with hope are what the church ought to be. And so I could end right there. I could end and make everyone think, ah, nuts. I really got to work on my fear. Or just scratching their heads when they drive home. Man, my hope is just real shallow. I don't want to do that. Because earlier we talked about the story of Nicodemus, Jesus talking to this old religious dude. And Jesus says this. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That, that's what I want to point us to. That, that's, the, that's the little strip of land that I want to land this plane on. That we could conclude on, this, on, on, the, on the commands of Peter of, of be holy, fear more, hope better. I think instead, I want to keep these words close to our hearts as we remember the words of Jesus who said, let the Son of Man be lifted up high. Let our eyes gaze the Son of God who suffered on our behalf to give us a life that we are just now starting to live for the first time. If you're curious what what I meant that first half uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, I'll I'll explain that story real quick. Uh, There's a story in the Old Testament where uh, God's people were, you know, just kind of doing what they always did, kind of being the worst. And so God uh, is angry at them. And so he sends these like vipers down and these vipers are like biting people. Like it's really scary. I imagine they were probably doing some pretty rough stuff to trigger this. And they cry out to God and they say, God, help us. Like these serpents are, are biting us. And so God says to the leaders, make a bronze serpent, like mold it together. And when you have it, hold it up high in the air. And anyone who looks on it, anyone who looks at that serpent, even if a snake bites them, they won't die. They won't be poisoned. And so when I think of this, when I think of this idea that the Son of Man must be lifted up, I think, like, this is what we're called to. That same idea of submitting ourselves to a good father as children, trusting in God, hoping in him. And as that happens, the snakes might bite us. We might experience pain and suffering. But we won't die. And one day our life will be full and overflow. So, as we uh, close, we'll point us towards the Lord's Supper, which we invite everyone to, uh, to experience with us. If, you've, if you feel like you have even that mustard seed of faith, even that like tiny little speck of sand to put in Jesus today, to just say, I, I think I'm ready to trust you as, my, as, a, as, a, as a child would trust a father. If you've got that like speck of sand, we invite you to come up here because this is a thing that Jesus said to all of his disciples. Take this bread, take this wine, remember who I am and I will dine with you. And then the time will come in the future when we'll dine together completely face to face. And so as we do that, We just remember the goodness of God and the love and presence he has and holds to those he cares for. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'd like to thank you for a good hope. It can be really debilitating to try to just put so much on ourselves. It can be really difficult to think of all that's expected of us. I know that resonates with me. I think I, I, I fear to be in a place of like great expectation, because I just know my own fragility, God. And so how beautiful is it that rather than calling us to a, a good news that rewards those who are able to work the hardest, instead you just say, it's free. Come and eat. Come and, come and rejoice with me. And we recognize through the Lord's Supper, God, that this was not something that was easy for you. This was a cost that you had to pay and a cost that you had to suffer for. And so may we recognize that, but also recognize the beautiful love and kindness that you're showing to us. So may you meet us here. May you show us your face. May you be kind to us. Encourage us through difficult times. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, uh, right now we're going to go into a brief time of confession. This is a great opportunity just for us to kind of meet with God before we uh, take the Lord's Supper or just as a way to kind of reconnect. Maybe this wasn't a very prayerful week and we feel like we've got a few things we need to, we need to get out there. So we're going to do that now. We're going to take about two minutes of silence, and I'm going to start us off for that. Father God, we recognize that we are, like I said, just fragile and imperfect people. Even on our best days, we have thoughts that are not good, that are often against other people. We have thoughts that are not good that are against you. Sometimes we just have bad thoughts about ourselves. There are many things that we want to bring before you, and just the humility of recognizing that we have to confess but God I pray that you would not pour shame on anyone for this because the beauty of confession is not this is a place for shame to grow but that it's a place to receive your forgiveness and your restoration so maybe we confess boldly knowing that you've got our backs and it's okay to be honest even when it's difficult so please help us with this Lord